my dog Joey. And I, this morning, went to uh, the local dog park. And as we were walking around the dog park, Joey does what Joey does in the morning. And, you know, at the, uh, I have an opportunity here. I can either go over and be a responsible dog owner and pick up uh, after him, or I can leave it for some unfortunate passerby later in the day or the week to step in it. Now, in externality, uh, you know, looking at carbon pricing and climate change is a lot of the same reality. Uh, we're not looking at this as something we want to pick up now, uh, but we're leaving it for future generations to step in. So a carbon price uh, is essentially that, uh, that conscious dog owner going over and, and picking up and cleaning up after itself. So how do we then communicate that to individuals to understand and realize that this isn't an added fee, uh, but instead it's making sure that we're incorporating the full price of what carbon pollution does to our communities and to our planet. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and with me today is my co-host, Michael Green. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm doing well, Michael. How are you doing today? Doing great. So, Michael, before we get to our conversation today, I uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to plug the raffle. Oh, well, thank you so much and, and glad to be on the show again and uh, talking with our listeners. Uh, as some of you are probably familiar, uh, I'm the executive director of an organization based in Boston. One of our key pieces that we've been bringing up here on the show quite often and uh, directly relates back to our work in Massachusetts is to put a price on carbon. So every year, uh, we go through a uh, quite the push for a fundraiser, and we wanted to make sure that this fundraiser uh, really was an eye-catcher and an opportunity to uh, find the right prize that would get people you know, quite excited. Uh, so this year, we're actually going to be raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model S or X of the winner's choice. Yeah, and that's worth about 120000 for folks who are not familiar with those vehicles, and they are very sweet. Um, plus, you're also going to pay the federal income tax on the prize, is that correct? We do pay the federal income tax on the prize. It doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you win a prize and then you have to uh, or cannot pay the federal uh, uh, gift taxes on it. Uh, so we're we're really excited. All of the proceeds are going to our effort to put a price on carbon in Massachusetts. Uh, you can find more information about the raffle on carbonraffle.org. Uh, we also put together a great short little uh, comedy skit and video on there that I enjoy uh, for folks to just check out and, 
and give it a look. Uh, we also have some great other uh, prizes that are on there. Uh, second and third place, you're walking away with a spot in line for the Tesla Model 3 uh, that's yet to be released, uh, as well as uh, cash prizes uh, all the way through to sixth place. We're only selling 2,500 raffle tickets, uh, so you have a really good chance of walking away with one of those awesome prizes, and tickets are available till July 4th. Fantastic. So let's get to today's show, Michael. We've had, this is the third podcast we're doing together, and we first started out, we had Katrina Rourke from Our Street On, and we talked about uh, the Republican proposal, a proposal by former senior Republican officials to um, put a tax on carbon. And then our next episode, we had Camilla Thorndike, who is with Our Climate and working with the folks at Years of Living Dangerously in the Put a Price on It campaign, trying to popularize and promote the idea of carbon pricing. But I thought today would be good if we stepped back and talked a little bit about the state of carbon pricing. Where does the effort stand to actually... Uh, to actually do that, to actually put a price on carbon. And you know quite a bit about the subject, so no guest today. I'm just going to interview you. How does that sound? That sounds great, and hopefully we'll be able to give an all-inclusive update for all of the action that's happening on the local level. Uh, We've discussed on previous shows a little bit about the opportunity nationally, uh, but really um, maybe we can start with just talking about uh, what brought me uh, to working on carbon pricing. Fantastic. Why don't we start there? Yeah, so, you know, I, my original uh, goal uh, going into college was that I wanted to be a forest ranger. I'm from upstate New York and, and really wanted to be uh, working out and preserving our forests in the uh, Adirondack Mountains. And as I learned more about the challenges of climate change, I realized that being way out in the woods wasn't going to be enough to really protect our, our natural habitat. Uh, so I, I pursued uh, heavy-handed time in, in activism, uh, working for kind of the who's who of the big environmental organizations. And eventually enough people told me, you know, uh, you've got all of the passion in the world, uh, but you know, pushing back, do you really understand the science? Uh, so I went on and got a degree in the science uh, and focusing on uh, atmospheric quality Uh, glacial geomorphology and how our planet was created by previous ice ages. And uh, as I started to learn more about the science and and essentially the politics of it, I started to get more and more questions about the economics, uh, understanding the business case. Uh, And really, that is the rut of the challenge that we face on climate uh, change as as a global uh, threat is the constant pushback of taking action on climate change is bad for jobs and bad for our economy. It means more regulation. It means changing the way uh, we live and think, the way our economy and manufacturing and systems work. But does it have to? So uh, we started to look into different economic policies that can yield the same kind of results and goals that we have around emissions. And and carbon pricing quickly rose to the top as that opportunity that's not going to grow governance, it's not going to mean future regulation or or picking winners or losers. It is the, as Katrina would say, it is providing the market signal and and that uh, market hand to really make the transition happen 
without putting in new red tape. And, and for me, it's that answer of, okay, can we come up with a solution to climate change that doesn't attack jobs or our economy, but instead those things stand to benefit? Right. So the basics, how would a carbon tax, uh, not, not that how would a carbon tax work, but how would people feel the impact of a carbon tax? So that's a, a great question, Michael, and it's something that comes up uh, because essentially um, we don't necessarily uh, want – if people are starting to respond to a carbon tax uh, because it's already implemented, then, then essentially we're losing the fight already uh, because what it's going to mean is it's going to mean more expensive reliance on fossil fuels. Uh, so for those who are not able to make the transition or are not willing to make the transition, they're going to see an increase in costs. And what that then creates is going to be, you know, maybe not the best PR or public uh, backlash. So really getting out there and making sure that folks understand that this is uh, in taking an externality uh, and making sure that it's accounted for as far as the cost of the product or of the of the energy. A great example is uh, my dog, Joey. And I, this morning, went to uh, the local dog park. And as we were walking around the dog park, Joey does what Joey does in the morning. And, you know, at the uh, I have an opportunity here. I can either go over and be a responsible dog owner and pick up uh, after him, or I can leave it for some unfortunate passerby later in the day or the week to step in it. Now, an externality, uh, you know, looking at carbon pricing and climate change, is a lot of the same reality. We're not looking at this as something we want to pick up now, uh, but we're leaving it for future generations to step in. So a carbon price is essentially that conscious dog owner going over and, and picking up and cleaning up after itself. So how do we then communicate that to individuals to understand and realize that this isn't an added fee, uh, but instead it's making sure that we're incorporating the full price of what carbon pollution does to our communities and to our planet? So essentially what happened is we would put a price on carbon. And so if we put a price on carbon... How would that play out? So gasoline would be taxed based upon the amount of carbon it would emit, emit into the atmosphere when it's burned. Is that correct? Correct. And, and the same thing would be applied to other forms of you know, natural gas, any other fossil fuels. Correct. And so as, if, as long as you applied it to the fuels, then somewhere down the road, whoever consumed it or used it would be paying for that. And that increase in cost would be based on the taxes, would be embedded in the different products and services that we use. Exactly. And the other end, though, of that is that we're also going to create huge market signals uh, for renewable energy development and financiers who are questioning whether or not these transition technologies and opportunities stand to gain financially over time. So it also, as much as we would see a price on our fossil fuel reliance, 
at the same time, you're going to see a rapid decrease in costs in other technologies and other opportunities, um, whether that's energy efficiency, new fuel types, and also you're going to see new products come on the market, meaning new jobs, new R&D, uh, and opportunities uh, for us to start to create a new age economy, uh, much of what is happening around the rest of the world. And the idea behind pricing carbon is that we would, you talk about externalities, right? So just the basics are the idea is that we would, we would put a price on carbon equal to the economic cost, the cost to society through a wide range of things, equal to what the, that cost to society is of burning that carbon. Is that correct? And that's going to be very difficult because uh, essentially the cost for what you know, carbon means for future generations, uh, putting a dollar amount on that is, is difficult. Uh, so there are estimates and ranges that go from $200 uh, plus dollars per ton down to some of the policies that are being introduced that are closer to the 5 to $10 per ton. And what you don't want to do is levy a price that is so reflective of the true cost that it shocks the market. Right. And so I think that the Republican proposal, the, the Schultz-Baker proposal, was $40 a ton. I've heard some other folks talk about you know, that $55 a ton is probably closer to the current social cost of carbon. So we implement that. And we don't implement it at the national level. How would you implement that at the state level? So the state of Massachusetts, you're involved in the effort. If the state of Massachusetts were to implement a carbon pricing on its own, how would that play out in the state of Massachusetts? So at the state level, uh, and it would be different for different states, here in Massachusetts, we don't have any fuel exploration or extraction, no refining. Uh, so most of the uh, fossil fuels coming in uh, to Massachusetts are really uh, coming from, from either a different country or from pretty far away. So it's going to mean money staying in our state, um, although that fee is levied at the point of entry. So we have uh, less than a dozen racking stations uh, where the fuel is coming in. And then the fee would be implemented there at a price per ton. And then that would trickle down through the economy out to businesses and down to uh, the end user. And in the state of Massachusetts, what, what's the, uh, is there a proposal currently to do this before the legislature? Yes. Yeah, so the proposal I'm, I'm referencing, and, and apologies, there's two bills in the state of Massachusetts. One, which is a reinvestment approach where it would be taking some of the money uh, and funding generated and circling it back into community projects that are focused on transportation, resiliency, and uh, low-income energy efficiency. And then another proposal that uh, is being championed and was introduced since the third session where this in particular proposal uh, has been introduced would be a revenue neutral approach. So the government holds on to none of the funding. Uh, it circles back to uh, individuals, uh, uh, excuse me, back to households based on the amount of indi many individuals are there, as well as businesses based on full-time employees. Uh, so really the interesting aspect of that bill is it's the market signal. However, it's not growing governance, 
not creating new programs to be reliant on state funding. Uh, so we're really looking at that as an opportunity to engage our Republican uh, governor, as well as our conservative uh, House of Representatives. How close is the state of Massachusetts to doing this? We're really excited that uh, when we first started working on this, uh, we knew that it was going to be you know, upwards of a six-year campaign. Uh, and here we are uh, walking into, I believe this is year uh, four, where, where we've had a bill introduced. So we're you know, well along our way. And we have a two-year session in Massachusetts, unlike some of the other states where you know the the lawmaking portion of their of their session is is a matter of months here we have 2 years to really think about this proposal uh what it means for our state how it's going to grow our economy and also how we can uh put it in place the most equitable way possible so the previous administration uh, before charlie baker actually reviewed carbon pricing and what it might mean on a microeconomic level as well as focusing on what it would do to different socioeconomic brackets within our state. And that report was commissioned, I believe now, two years ago. Uh, So this is something that's been thought about and has been researched and really been bouncing around for for quite some time in the state. And have any other states, has anyone or any other uh, governmental entity in the United States passed putting a price on carbon? So we have some sub-state actors, uh, counties and municipalities uh, that have looked into carbon pricing and kind of found their own way uh, of doing it. Of course, Boulder being one of the the great um, examples there. And then uh, not in the uh, United States, but our cousins to the north, British Columbia, uh, really started the idea in North America around using a carbon price, revenue neutral carbon price. And now other Canadian provinces are moving in that direction as well at a really quick pace. Here in uh, the US, we have legislation that's been introduced uh, in about half a dozen states. And that number is jumping up very quickly each year. The proposal, though, that most would be most familiar with would be the ballot initiative that uh, was on the ballot last November in Washington State. And how did it do in Washington State? The the issue in Washington State and the issue of doing anything uh, really by ballot initiative is it puts a lot of onerous on educating the general public and bringing them along to the same conclusion uh, that carbon pricing is to their benefit. The ballot initiative didn't pass and uh, had nothing to do with the amazing effort with the grassroots groups that were organizing around it. However, when you're doing a public discourse around a climate policy, such as through a ballot initiative, it becomes very difficult to control the conversation. So there was unfortunately a lot of advertisement and a lot of money that went into the opposition in dissuading uh, the public through you know, negative campaigns. Uh, so it was really unfortunate that they weren't able to get it across the, the finish line there. Uh, that's why we're really looking at a legislative proposal and approach to being maybe a, a different opportunity here in Massachusetts. And how, how close was the vote in, um, do, you, do you know what the percentages were in what, the state of Washington? 
I believe it was they lost by under 10 percentage points uh, comparatively where states have voted on gas taxes or fuel levies in the past. It actually came uh, pretty darn close. Uh, And the issue actually, number one challenge that they faced wasn't from the fossil fuel industry. It wasn't from uh, conservative lawmakers or climate deniers. It was actually from, from the left. It was uh, various groups that were concerned about uh, making sure that the ballot initiative was written in a way that would be the most equitable way of going about putting a price on carbon. I see. And so in British Columbia, can you, do you know how that system works and how do they ensure, is it a carbon, is it revenue neutral? And how do they work to ensure uh, equity in the, in the process? So the British Columbian model has been extremely interesting for us to follow in that first, I talked a little bit about the challenges of bringing across a large public through a conversation to the same conclusion of carbon pricing. Uh, British Columbia couldn't have had much more of an opposite example, where their carbon pricing was championed by the provincial government at the time. We're talking about 2007, 2008, going into the Copenhagen climate talks, there was a feverish demand for action on climate change. And a lot of progressive states in the U.S. passed legislation in that same time frame as well. British Columbia decided to go out on a limb. Uh, they put in a revenue-neutral carbon price. It started at a low fee and slowly worked up each year until I believe it got to $40 a ton. And then it stopped there to be studied and reviewed on how it was affecting the emissions. Of course, they saw a direct link between the fee and fuel usage. So as the fee went up, fuel usage and emissions went down at an accelerated rate in comparison to the rest of their uh, neighboring provinces. They came up with a unique trick two unique tricks, I'll say, actually, to really gain public support. First, they issued the rebate, the refund back to households and businesses before actually implementing the fee. So right off the bat, everyone had a check in hand. The other part that I found that was quite interesting is that it also was written into uh, the law that the pay for various uh, uh, senior and executive government officials would be docked if the funding didn't return each year in whole back to businesses and residents. So there was really that kind of stick to make sure uh, that this was done properly without growing the government or instituting, uh, using the money to institute new regulation. Yeah, that's probably always the concern is that while they say that it's going to be revenue neutral, will it actually be revenue neutral? And is in the state of Massachusetts, are any of the proposals modeled after the one in British Columbia? Yeah, so Senator Barrett, who is our chairman of the Telecom Utilities and Electric Committee, uh, is the sponsor of the revenue neutral bill. And it was modeled and designed very much learning from the experience in British Columbia. Uh, We were actually honored last year to have uh, some of the government officials who played crucial role in implementing the charge come down to Massachusetts and share their experience with our leadership. 
Where is uh, Massachusetts versus some of the other states? Are there any other states that are further along with this or, or closer to passing carbon pricing? Up until the end of the session this past year, you know, there was a lot of eyes looking at uh, Washington state. They had several pieces of legislation following the ballot initiative that were introduced and were being very closely followed. Uh, but that session has actually come and ended. We had bills introduced also this year in Connecticut, uh, which were uh, certainly going to be a unique opportunity there, as well as Rhode Island. Both of those two bills had language in them that they would not be enacted until Massachusetts actually moved forward with their carbon price. Uh, so that was a, a unique spin for those bills. Uh, Vermont has introduced legislation. Uh, and now we're getting to this space where it's becoming more and more regular that there's uh, studies and uh, hearings being put on and not necessarily your hubs of climate advocacy, but you know our Midwest states, our, our southern states, looking at could a carbon tax be implemented to help us reach our emission goals. Uh, so it's something that's becoming more and more popular as a tool to be used. So is there some concern, based on what you're saying, talking, saying about the Connecticut and Rhode Island and they're waiting for Massachusetts, is there some concern that doing this would make a state less competitive than other states, economically in some way? Yeah, no, of course. And, and that's something that we're very much looking out for here in, in Massachusetts, uh, where you know, we're, we're smaller states, we're all kind of close together, and our economies are extremely intrinsically linked. So one thing that we did, you know, the most uh, linked sector of our economy across these states is certainly our electric. Uh, our electricity functions on a regional grid. So we actually went as far as exempting the electric sector. Uh, again, the electric sector is also covered under our regional greenhouse gas initiative or REGI. So uh, that's one way that we went in uh, dealing with that problem. Now, also in our bill, we have specific language that would allow for the governor's office to take into account certain sectors of the economy that are being put at an advertly disadvantage that then they could be have an added opportunity for more funding for innovation to reduce their emissions and, and also lessen the cost to those businesses. So how about our friends in California? They're usually out in front of these kind of things. Mm. Uh, where, where are they with carbon pricing? Yeah, so there's a great article that came out in Vox uh, here earlier in the week that was starting to review what is the next wave of emission policy going to look like in California. Uh, one of the issues that they're having right now with their cap and trade uh, is that you know corporations and uh, big emitters are moving faster than many might have predicted in reducing their emissions. What that's resulting though in is less people purchasing emission credits. And then what happens is if less credits are purchased, then there's less funding going into some of the programs that are dependent on that funding. So implementing a higher floor, which essentially functions as the same way as a carbon fee or a, a tax, is being looked at as an opportunity to be implemented. Definitely would encourage folks to, to look up that uh, article in Vox and what's going on in, in California. 
So where will the dam break, Michael? Who will be first, you think? Where will we first get some form of carbon pricing? Well, that's a great question. And right now, my hope in energy is really focusing on the New England states as the clear opportunity to put a fee on carbon pollution. But I think that there is a growing opportunity in some of these new states that are taking a new understanding in direction on climate change as we realize that some of these old industries are not coming back. The coal industries and some of the large-scale manufacturing uh, no matter what the administration tells us, uh, we're not going to entice them to come back. So how do we go about diversifying our economy? How do we go about growing it and sending the right market signals while also reaching our emission goals and our climate targets? Putting a fee on carbon pollution is a great way to fuel and generate that opportunity. Uh, so hopefully as we gain more momentum in New England and in the Northeast uh, and in California, uh, that quickly spreads to other states who are starting to feel a little bit like they're left out of the opportunity. It's fantastic. Michael, I think this was a good uh, introduction for folks on carbon pricing and the state of carbon pricing. A lot of our episodes going forward, we'll be talking about different efforts and different approaches to carbon pricing. So uh, thank you for this. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and all your knowledge. I'm you know, always happy to jump in and, and explain the intricacies to the various carbon policies that we have across this country and a great resource for folks that we've been compiling all of our own research and uh, work on, on carbon markets and carbon pricing schemes. And you can find that at climateexchange.org. So encourage people to uh, uh, look us up there. Fantastic. So, Michael, before we go, um, anything in the news or anything going on in the world that caught your eye that you want to share? So the story that I'm following this week is the sands of Dog. And excuse me from anyone in Ireland who is going to jump on me for uh, mispronouncing this, but a beach on Mayo actual island vanished in 1984 after a, a hard spring storm. And over a period of eight or 10 days, the beach has come back. Uh, and looking over the pictures and the before and after, it's really quite an amazing story. One of the things that I'm following it so closely for is it serves as a great reminder for how dynamic and ever-changing this planet really is. So so wait a minute. The beach disappeared in 1984 and it just showed up? It just showed up. Uh, a matter of winds blowing the right direction and current moving the right way. And the beach has returned. Wow, We're talking about 300 meters of golden, beautiful shoreline um, that has come back. Wow, that's that's hard to top. That's an amazing story. What caught my eye, and I just I just came in the mail for me is Paul Hawken, who was originally Smith and Hawken, and then he's done a couple other um, climate related things since. Uh, has a new book out called Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. He didn't write the book; he edited it. And basically, I think the premise of the book, and, and what I'm hearing from a lot of folks, is 
no matter what we do with carbon pricing and reducing our emissions of carbon, we really need to start thinking about resequestering carbon if we're going to really have a to stop the worst effects of, of climate change. And this book looks at the hundred top solutions and it ranks them from one to a hundred in terms of what we could be doing now to reverse global warming. So looking forward to reading the book and sharing some tidbits with folks as I finish reading it. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing about those and also maybe out of a hundred, hopefully we'll be able to interview folks that are really moving those forward on a local level. Cause I know that carbon sequestration is things that are happening, uh, whether it's through uh, afforestation or other opportunities really across the country. Well, I won't spoil any surprises, but I think some of the solutions and some of the bigger solutions will really surprise people. They're not things that necessarily come to top of mind. So I'm kind of fascinated by that. And again, looking forward to sharing. And I, I think you're right. I think we should grab some folks and try to interview them on some of these topics. So, Michael, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.